It is, again, so great to look out and see people. <laughs> yes, yes, it's awesome. Amen. You got you to gotta make me a promise, though. The deal is this. I'm going to make you the same deal that I made with you on last week, for those of you that were here last week. If you're here in the sanctuary, the deal is this, that I need you to talk back to me. I need to hear from you. I'm not in the mood for having quiet church today. Hello, somebody. <laughs> so all of your prayers and all of your amens are welcome. Yes, yes, yes. God bless you. And for all of you that are online with us, your prayers and amens are welcome uh, as well. We would encourage you to engage with us and let us know that you're here because uh, we want to interact and, in, and engage with you as well. Amen, amen. Uh, well, most of you, if not all of you, unless you've been uh, in a coma or under a rock or something like that, all of us are aware that this has been a very tough and challenging week, to say the least. That is, I submit to you, an understatement. It has been a very, very tough week. Just to kind of talk through kind of what we've seen this week. Uh, we started this week by reaching and surpassing the ominous mark of 100,000 United States citizens dying as a result of this coronavirus. Tough, a tough and an ominous mark that we not only hit, we surpassed. Unemployment is at record highs. People are hungry and anxious and all of that building this week. A tough week. Then, on top of all of that pressure that was building, all of that pressure that was building as a result of what has happened as it relates to the virus, this week brought us face to face yet again, face to face yet again with evil. Face to face again with with racism, face to face again with injustice, when on the heels of what was outrage already from the Ahmad Aubrey incident where he was murdered on camera, on the heels of that, we faced several other incidents, beginning with an incident that was recorded in Central Park in New York that really, to me, was, I know all of them were, it really, this probably sounds strange, but to me, that was the most disturbing of all of them. And I'll tell you why. When we witnessed the young man who was bird watching. And who simply asked a lady to leash her dog. 
She responds by threatening his very life, by calling the police and placing a false claim that we were able to witness live on video. I'll tell you why that was the most disturbing, because all of these, no, no life was lost there, but just the fact that that is the default that some people defer to is very disturbing because I, 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 I guarantee you that there are people who work with that lady, know that lady, and would have never thought that that would be her response. And then to follow that up, we witnessed a young man in Minneapolis, Minnesota, George Floyd, who is accosted by police because of whatever reason and ends up being, I know this is tough to hear, murdered on video. Tough, weak, and it it, it, it was made tougher because of the fact that all of these things drove our nation to the brink, to the tipping point. And as a result of that, we've seen protests, we've seen violence, we've seen things erupt all over our nation. This has been tough week. When these names that we have seen that of people that have lost their lives have now been added to a long list of names of people who have gone the same way for the very same reasons. It has been tough. It's been difficult. It's been difficult. It's been di difficult for all of us. And if it has not been difficult for you, there is something seriously wrong. So you know what? So, so, so here's the thing then. The question is, what, what, what is our response as believers? What, what, what do we do? What, what should be, if we are called by the name of Christ, what is our responsibility? We do, you do know that we have a responsibility. Let me share it with you real quick and then we'll get to the matter at hand in the book of Esther. But let me share with you what I believe our responsibilities are in times like this and in all times. First of all, our, our chief responsibility are the first thing on the list is that we ought to see, see something. You know what that means? It means that we should not be blind as believers to what's happening around us. We need to see and be aware of what's happening in our society, in our surroundings. We need, to, we need to see something. Then after we see something, our responsibility, if we're going to be Christians, uh, is that not only should we see, we should feel something. We should have compassion. 
We cannot be followers of Christ if we're not compassionate people. We can't, but we can't. And then if we're going to see something, if we're going to feel something, then you know what we need to do? We need to say something. We follow a king who was not quiet in the face of vindication. He was not quiet. And then if we're going to do all those things, here's what our king would do. If we're, going to, if we're going to do all those things, if we're going to see something, if we're going to feel something and say something, our king who we follow would do something. And so that's our responsibility. We, we need to do all of those things, right? So now the question comes, what should we do? Well, I'll tell you this. We don't have the luxury of being inactive if we're going to be true believers. We have to be activists. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means. I don't, I'm not telling you to go out and do what people are doing all around the nation. That's wrong. We shouldn't be involved in violence and in rioting and in destruction of property and all that. But I am saying that there are some things that we, should, that we can and should do. And being silent and quiet and blind are not those things. They are not those things. And you know, I need to share with you that there is good news because in spite of, in spite of and in light of all of what I just talked about, in spite of all of that and in light of that, there's a few things I'd like to share with you this morning by way of encouragement. Here it is. God is still with us. He's still with us. God is still with us. And watch this. His hand is still on us. His hand is still on us. His hand is still on us. His plan is still to protect and to redeem us. All these things are true. Not only that, his model is still the best one for us to follow. That's good news this morning. That's good news. And, and, and believe it or not, we see evidence of all of this good news in today's preaching paragraph from Esther chapter 5. It's there. I'm not making it up. All of this. I'm going to show it to you. It's all there. Right. Uh, as you know, we've been in Esther since Mother's Day as we've been looking at God's providence. We'll continue today with part four of this series in chapter five, part four of the series entitled God's Providence from Esther chapter five. By way of review, let me do this. Let me review for a moment for those of you that may not have been with us or for those of you that just need a brief review. Allow me to state once again that God's providence is the work of God whereby he integrates and blends events in the universe in order to fulfill his original design for which it was created. Providence also means activity arising from foresight. It describes God's unseen yet very real care for his own. His unseen, yet very real care 
for his own. Can I share a story with you? Story is told that on Christmas Eve uh, in the year 1875, Ira Sankey was traveling on a Delaware River steamboat when he was recognized by some of the passengers. Sankey's picture had been in the newspaper because he was the song leader for the famous evangelist D.L. Moody. They asked him to sing one of his own hymns, but Sankey declined, saying that he preferred to sing William Bradbury's hymn, Savior, Like a Shepherd, Lead Us. And as he sang, one of the stanzas began, We are thine, do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. When he finished, a man stepped from the shadows and asked Sankey, he said, did you ever serve in the Union Army? And Sankey says, yes, yes. Mr. Sankey, he answered, he said, yes. In the spring of 1860, I actually did serve in the Union Army. And the man responded by saying, can you remember if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlit night in 1862? Do you remember if that was you? Sankey says, yes. That was me. Very surprised that the man would ask him this. He says, yes, that was me. He says, the man, so did I. I also did picket duty that night, but I was serving in the Confederate Army. And when I saw you standing at your post, I thought to myself, that fellow will never get away alive. I raised my musket and took aim. I was standing in the shadow completely concealed while the full light of the moon was falling upon you. At that instant, just as a moment ago, you raised your eyes to heaven and began to sing. Let him sing his song to the end, I said to myself. I can shoot him after he, be he finishes singing. He's my victim. He is my victim. My bullet cannot miss him. But the song you sang then, that night, was the same song that you just sung just now. I heard the words perfectly. We are thine. Do thou befriend, befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. Those words stirred up many memories. I began to think of my childhood and my God-fearing mother. She had many times sung that song to me. When you had finished your song, it was impossible for me to take aim again. I thought the Lord who is able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. And my arm of its own accord dropped limp at my side. And I could not pull the trigger. This is a very real and accurate depiction of God's hand of providence at work in the life of Mr. Sankey and the man he encountered on the train. It was God's providence. It also shares some commonalities with the sensational story of Esther in that the providence of God is unmistakably visible here in this story as well. It's here. Just to briefly recap the story for you, 
You recall that in chapter 1, Queen Vashti is banished from the palace as queen by her husband, King Xerxes, for refusing to shamefully display her beauty to enhance the king's glory. Then in chapter 2, after a beauty pageant, Esther is chosen to replace Vashti as queen. At the end of chapter 2, Mordecai, while sitting at the king's gate, discovers a plot by two men, Bigfan and Teresh, uh, to assassinate the king. The plot is investigated, found to be true. The men are executed by hanging. The king's life is spared. In chapter 3, Mordecai is not recognized for his faithful deed, but rather he's passed over and a guy named Haman. Guy named Haman is promoted instead. Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman. This angers Haman, and he comes up with the plot to kill not just Mordecai, but also all of Mordecai's people, the Jews. On one day, in one fell swoop, he plots and plans to take them all out. Last week, we looked at chapter 4 where we were reminded of some things. Y'all remember what we talked about last week in chapter 4? First thing we learned from chapter 4 was that we are to be anxious for nothing. Unlike the response of Mordecai and the Jews who responded in an overly dramatic way to Haman's plot, we are to be anxious for nothing. Then last week we talked about this, never forget where you came from. Never forget where you came from, as modeled by Esther being deeply distressed concerning Mordecai's condition. Then we learn to be stronger than your excuses. Be stronger than your excuses as as Mordecai challenged Esther's initial reasoning for hesitating to go into the king to petition him on behalf of her people. It's seen by Mordecai as nothing more than an excuse. Then lastly, Last week, we learned to not, were well, y'all paying attention? I said to you last week, don't, thank you, Tammy, don't miss your moment. Don't miss your moment. As Mordecai uttered the famous words, the most famous words in the whole book of Esther, when he says to Esther, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. After which you recall that after requesting, after requesting three days of fasting, Esther courageously proclaims, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, good students, I have good students, good students, thank you, thank you, thank you. If I perish, I perish. That brings us then to our text for today in chapter 5. This chapter is divided in two movements or two scenes. Uh, Verses 1 through 8 is Esther and the king. Verses 9 through 14 is Haman, his wife, and his friends. Here's the question. What is God's word trying to emphasize to us in each of these movements or scenes? What can we take from these two scenes in Esther chapter 5 that will help us in our world right now? Because there are some some things here that will help us. First thing uh, that I see is this. God rewards courageous steps born out of obedience. 
God rewards courageous steps that are born out of obedience to him. He always rewards that. Uh, in verses 1 through 3, we find out that after three days of fasting. Well, let's read it first. Verses 1 through 8 of Esther chapter 5. Let's read it together. Uh, on the third day. Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Esther, Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out, he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter and the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, what is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, my wish and my request is if I, if I have found favor in the sight of the king. And if it pleased the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. This is the first scene in Esther chapter 5, right? And here we find out in the first three verses that after three days of fasting and others fasting for her, Esther decides to follow through on her bold promise to go before the king no matter what. She had just kind of stepped out on faith at the end of chapter 4 and said, I'm going. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. Um, it doesn't say she was praying. It just says she was fasting. But we know that prayer and fasting go together. So we can assume that if she and the others were fasting, that they were also praying. And she just steps out on faith and says, I'm going to the king, even though it may cost me my life. And if I perish, I perish. And now at the beginning of chapter five, after those three days have passed, she goes and makes good on this promise. This must have been a time of great suspense. If it were uh, a suspense movie, the music would be playing right now. You know that music that plays, you know that Jason music, that Friday the 13th music, that music that plays when you know something bad is getting ready to happen. It would, if this was a movie, and it has actually been made into a movie, the music would be playing right about now. What would the king's reaction be? She risked death just by going to him uninvited. Would Esther live or be put to death for going to the king uninvited? Suddenly the king notices her and the music gets louder. Can't you hear it? I don't know what it would sound like. I would give you a sample, but I, may, I don't know if I do it right. Just imagine in your mind. Y'all have watched horror movies, suspense movies. It's getting intense right now. The music is getting faster and louder. What would the king's response be to Esther coming to him uninvited? Verse 2 says, 
Here is his response. She wins favor in his sight. And suddenly, the suspense music dies out because there's no more suspense. She wins favor in his sight. Question is, here's another question. Y'all know I like to ask you questions that I can think that you probably are already asking anyway. And if you're not asking them, I'm going to suggest to you that these are the questions you should be asking. <laughs> right? Here's the question. Here's the question. Thank you, Brother Sam. Thank you, Brother. I'm so glad to have you back. Thank you. <laughs> why, why, why or how does she win his favor? That's the question you ought to be asking. Why does she or how does she win his favor? Why does it not end differently? When the reality is, is that uh, it was highly unusual and unlikely that this would end the way it did. It was, after all, a very risky move. Surely they had, there had been others who had attempted this and faced the ultimate punishment. It's risky. It was unusual and unlikely, especially given whatever the circumstances were surrounding the fact that she hadn't been summoned by the king in 30 days. There must have been something going on. I don't know what, but she hadn't seen him. He hadn't seen her. She, he hadn't summoned her in 30 days. So this certainly uh, made this a more more of a risky move. She, she, she doesn't do anything special. He just saw her, and she wins his favor. She doesn't do anything. She doesn't act a certain way. Uh, none of that. He just looks up from his throne and sees her, and the text says that's all that it took. And she wins his favor just like that. Others were likely looking on in utter amazement and disdain, thinking that this was terribly unfair given how those in the empire had possibly been treated who had attempted this before. There were probably onlookers who were saying, uh, my cousin tried this five years ago, and, he, and she didn't make it. My nephew tried this and he didn't make it. I, I, I can just imagine that those was in, 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 that were surrounding and watching this brother Kimmy were just thinking this is terribly unfair. This is unfair. <laughs> and so uh, verse 3, to make matters worse in verse 3, he doesn't only extend the golden scepter to receive her. He does that. He extends to her the golden scepter, which says he is receiving her. Not only does he do that, he offers her whatever she wants. And he uses an idiom. He uses a saying that says up to the half of the kingdom. That simply means that you can have whatever you want. Whatever you want is yours. In verse 4, Esther said this. It, 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 watch this. Look at how verse 4 begins. Verse 4 begins this way, and Esther said. Isn't that something? You know why there's something? Because this is after all that has happened, Candace, after all that we've read in 1 through 3, this is the very first time that Esther even opens her mouth. In verse 4, 
First time she speaks and all, all her wish has already been granted before she has even said what her wish is. All this has happened and she doesn't even speak until now and her wish is granted before she utters a word. It's very strange. Very strange that the king hasn't summoned Esther for 30 days, but all of a sudden, whatever the rift was, if there was in fact a rift, if that was the reason for the 30-day period, whatever, don't know. But if the rift, uh, all of a sudden, uh, if it's been fixed, uh, it's been fixed without Esther having to do anything. It's been repaired without her saying anything, without her doing anything. She just shows up and all of a sudden, all is well. All of a sudden, she shows up and her wish is his command. You should be asking a question. Question you should be asking is why? <laughs> right? Why? Why is this the case? Because, um, let, me, let me give you the answer. Because of how chapter 4 ends with the declaration of faith. Chapter 4 ends with the declaration of faith. Chapter 4 ends with her saying, if I perish, I perish. I fasted, I prayed, I'm going to the king, I'm following what God has told me to do. And here's the thing, following God's providential persuasion produces unfair favor. Because Brother Sam said a minute ago, favor ain't fair. Because God is not concerned with what's fair. He's concerned with what's just and what's right. And what we perceive as fair is not necessarily fair in his eyes. And his concern was for his child and for his people. And he had promised to protect all of them. And I just stopped to tell you today that he sees us the same way. And what we're going through right now, all we've got to do is obey his every word and he will protect. It will bring about and produce for us the same unfair favor that Esther benefited from. Some of you all baby, say amen right now because you, you've already experienced it. You've already had it happen to you. you. You've already seen it in your life. Unfair. People around you were wondering how it is that that happened. How it is that they said yes to her. How it is that she got this. How it is that this happened in her. How it is that he was healed from sickness and as bad as he'd been. How, 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 how. It's unfair favor. <laughs> I just need you to see that. It's unfair favor. That's the reason why. And then in verses 4 through 8, Esther's wish for now. We see her wish. Her wish for now is that she uh, invites the king and Haman to two feasts and does not reveal her ultimate wish until they actually arrive at the second feast. And that's not going to happen until chapter 7. You need to come back to hear about that. Chapter 7, <laughs> why? why she did this is uncertain, but we do know that her fasting and prayers brought faith and wisdom in God's unseen hand of favor. Only the providence of God can explain all of this. Only the providence of God can explain all of this. There were these were very difficult and challenging times for Mordecai, Esther, and the people of God. Just like these are challenging times for us right now, 
These were challenging times for Esther and for Mordecai and the people of God. There was a plot that had been devised to destroy all of them. But God was still with them, just like he's still with us. His hand, I told you in the beginning, I hope you were taking notes. I said this already, I'm saying it again, right? There it is. Thank you, thank you, thank you. His hand was still on them, and his hand is still on us. His plan was still to protect and to redeem them. His plan is still to protect and redeem us right now. So I ask you the question. As we begin this, what is it that God wants us to see in this first scene? And there it is. There's a, that's the lesson for us. That's the message for us from this first scene in Esther chapter 5. So what's the message from scene number 2? There's a message there too, right? It's, it, it begins in verse 9. It ends in verse 14. Let's read it together. Esther chapter 5, verses 9 through 14 say this, and Haman, this is act 2, scene 2, uh, movement 2 of Esther chapter 5. Here's what it says, and Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh, and Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me, can't you just see him? Let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let a gallows 50 cubits high be made and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman and he had the gallows made. What, 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 what could we possibly learn from Act 2? Here's what we, here's a lesson I think we can, we can get from this. Don't be like Haman. <laughs> There's your lesson right there. It's very simple. Don't be like Haman. That's the lesson we get from Act 2, Scene 2, Movement 2 of Esther chapter 5. Haman is everything we can't afford to be, especially in times like we're facing today. Haman exemplifies everything that we cannot afford to be. Non-compassionate, non-loving, sinful, devious, egomaniacal, and narcissistic. We can't afford to be like that anytime, but especially in times like we're in now. These things unchecked will always generate and perpetuate malice. 
Verse 9 is a perfect illustration of this malice, right? In verse 9, Haman sees Mordecai at the king's gate, which means that Mordecai still had some position of authority in the kingdom, and Mordecai's presence fills Haman with rage. I'm going to keep saying this all throughout this, right? Don't be like Haman. <laughs> right? It, it, it fills him with rage. Uh, uh, a commentator, uh, Warren Wiersbe, says this about this scene. He says, his hatred of the Jews, talking about Haman, his hatred of the Jews in general and Mordecai in particular had so poisoned his system that he couldn't even enjoy talking about his greatness. Malice, Wiersbe says, is that deep-seated hatred that brings delights if our enemy suffers and pain if our enemy succeeds. Malice can never forgive. It must always take revenge. Malice has a good memory for hurts and a bad memory for kindness. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 and 8 compared malice to yeast. Because like yeast, malice begins very small, but gradually grows and grows. And finally, it permeates the whole life. Malice is the Christian's, malice in the Christian's heart uh, grieves the Holy Spirit and must be put out of our lives. Don't, y'all finish that for me, be like Haman. You getting ready to come help me preach or what? Okay. <laughs> don't be like Haman. Is that right? Don't, don't be like Haman. I hope you got some time because I still got a long way to go. Get you a seat. No, I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be like Haman, right? In verses 10 through 12, I gotta, I'm so glad to have people. I'm glad to have people laugh with me. It's, in verses 10 through, y'all can't, don't be so stiff. Loosen up a little bit. Uh, we're, we're, amen, somebody. Verses 10 through 12, Haman then goes home and gathers his wife and friends and then proceeds to boast in the glory which he gains from his 10 sons. He begins to boast in all of his glory and he recounts all the instances in which the king has honored him. This banquet being one of his great moments of power and glory. He speaks of the way the king has exalted him above all his peers. He's bragging and boasting. And finally, he boasts of the banquet he has just attended and the one he will attend the following day. What glory is his? He seems ready to burst with pride. Haman is a classic egomaniac. Classic. It's all about him. He craves attention. He craves personal recognition. It's evidenced by the fact that the, pronoun, that, that, uh, the pronouns him, he, himself, his, I, and me are used a total of 19 times in these six verses denoting uh, his narcissistic and e egomaniacal character. He's a selfish guy. It's all about him. Verse 13, his self-celebration suddenly is interrupted by the thought of the one person who refuses to recognize him, Mordecai. He can't even celebrate his own, his own selfishness. He's having a celebration, but his self-celebration, he, he's so rotten on the inside that the moment he thinks of Mordecai, his self-celebration ends. It ends because Mordecai is driving him 
crazy. In verse 14, he has surrounded himself with people, his wife and his friends, that cater to and enable his flawed condition. Let me say this as a side note. I don't need people in my life who will not challenge me. Now, all of y'all should have said amen right there. I don't need people in my life that won't challenge me, but rather instead feed my shortcomings. Now, that's the natural desire is that we want people to feed who we are, right? But let me tell you what a true friend looks like. True friends don't look like uh, Haman's friends and his wife. True friends will challenge rather than enable. But he had surrounded, his his character uh, led him to surround himself with these kind of people. I don't need those kind of friends. All of this leads him to do something that he'll soon regret because they make a suggestion that feeds into his flawed character. They say, this is what you ought to do. And he's like, what? What What should I do? Tell me, tell me, tell me. What should I do? I know this is going to be good. They say, this is what you ought to do. Build the gallows 50 cubits high. 50 cubits may not sound that high, but let me tell you what it is in, 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 in feet. 75 feet high. That's pretty high. Hang him on it. Put him on public display. Crucify him. Uh, 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 ex- uh, uh, what? Kill him. I'm trying to think of another word, but it wouldn't come to me. Assassinate him. That's what I was trying to. See, y'all, I, I'm getting old, and sometimes these words, it's hard for me to grab them. <laughs> Make a public display. Listen, you need to come back, because if you keep coming back, you're going to find I'm talking about you. Keep coming back, because if you keep coming back, you're going to find out this comes back to bite him. But he listens to those that are doing nothing more than enable him. And it is going to come back to bite him. We must be careful of what and who we allow to form our identity. If our identity is formed out of aberrant constructs and ideologies, it will lead to certain misery every time. You got to watch it. Uh. Now I'm getting ready to close so you can make your way on up here and help me preach. Come on back up here. (laughs) Let me say this. Haman is not our model. Let me suggest to you that we have a much better model than Haman. Somebody tell me what his name is. Jesus is our model. Haman is not our model. Haman lived for his own glory. Christ Live for the glory of his father. Haman made God's people his enemy. Christ makes his enemies his friends. Haman wouldn't forgive one man for one thing. Christ will forgive every man for anything. Haman wanted to publicly publicly sacrifice a man. Christ was publicly sacrificed for all men. Haman forced people to bow down to him. Christ asked people to come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden. See, y'all made an agreement with me that you were going to talk back to me. And I will give you rest. Christ is our model. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, 
clothed the naked, stood up for the oppressed, welcomed the marginalized, prayed without ceasing. He was a friend to the friendless, a brother to the brotherless. He gave everything he had so that others could be rescued. Don't be like Haman. Be like Christ. In the day and time in which we live, we need more Christ's with an S on the end than Haman's. Be like Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Your peace that passeth all understanding. Lord, we need you right now. In this day and hour, when our country is in trouble. Our nation is divided. We, we need you. Bring your peace. Lord, we need you right now. We want to be like you. We, 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 we wear your name and we, not just, we don't just want to wear your name. We want to live like you told us to live. We want to have compassion for others. We want to love one another. So help us, Lord, to do that. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name is our prayer. Amen. Don't. Y'all got it. <laughs> you ought to tell somebody tomorrow when you see them at, at Walmart. And they're going to be like, what in the world is she talking about? Just walk up to them with your mask on and say, excuse me be like Haman and just see what that what happens amen